I'm Asan and welcome to a City Watch podcast special. Uh, earlier today, I was lucky enough to catch up with Graham Hunter to have a little chat about the Joe Hart situation. Um, just what his thoughts are on on Joe's omission uh, from the team and potentially his departure from the club and whether that was a surprise for him. So yeah, without further ado, here's me chatting to Graham about Joe Hart. All right, listen. Ask me questions. Yeah, let's get let's get stuck straight into this. Yeah. So to begin with, just very very quickly, are you surprised that Joe Hart seems to be the first major casualty of the Guardiola era? And uh, no, not at all, because um, this not just Pep Guardiola's definition of what a keeper must do, but the the needs of the system that he the philosophy that he believes in. I would say that. Um, it's very hard, very hard to remember an English goalkeeper who's been taught that way. And I think that it's, I mean, I can't, I can't, ace, I can't remember how old you are, but I think in most of, and, and there'll be a mix listening to your podcast of City fans in terms of their ages. Yeah. But I think that you can call it a relatively recent development in English football. I don't know if it's maybe Van der Sar. But this it took us a long time to, to get the grips with the sweeper-keeper. Mm-hmm. And now we've become just like the Macaulay role, you know, which just drives, if, if you pay any attention to football, it drives you crazy that once we've taught people one phrase that is supposed to help you interpret, it becomes used parrot fashion. Yeah. You know, there's no other player that's played organising central midfield well other than Macaulay. In inverted commas. Well, I'm looking. For and now, Sorry, and now, no. therefore, what I'm th- the reason I'm taking the piss out of people who use that phrase is that sweeper keeper has become a phrase that gets used, I think, to describe um, any goalkeeper who a coach um, believes is is competent with their feet. Now, I think of of goalkeepers who are able to use their feet. And, and perform like an 11th footballer rather than an appendix to the other 10 footballers yeah. who can save shots. I think there are, you know, I think there are more of those. But I don't think that covers at all what Pep Guardiola's concept of this position needs to embrace. In fact, I know that what he wants is somebody who, it, it, just like we, we began to talk about... Um, centre-backs needing to commence the play, to break through lines, that Pep wants the the ball not to be moved in a sort of um, a curved half-moon shape from uh, right-back to the right-centre-half to left-centre-half to left-back and back in that little curved half-moon shape. Again, he doesn't want that. Yeah, He wants the ball to be either moved quickly through the um, attacking pressing lines or a centre-half who can dribble back. Well, what we've got to get used to now is, and there are still vast numbers of people in either um, fans or media or indeed many in the football establishment who don't buy into the concept of a football-playing centre-half who can break the lines, who can who can commence the play. Yeah. Well, you know, while people are still struggling to believe in that and the reason that you bought Stones and so on and the reason that PK was such a favourite of his at Barcelona and Alaba or Lamb um, at uh, Bayern Munich, he, he's he's now he's focused on quite a different thing in terms of making City have a goalkeeper 
not not simply good with his feet, good at you know playing the ball across the penalty area if they're being pressed. It's about how well the players recommenced um, with feet or with hands to the team, so that it becomes it becomes a fully functioning eleventh member of the system. Now, Joe Hart hasn't been asked to play that role. Um, I'm not certain at all that it's his strength. And I think that it's also archetypical of Guardiola to to start um, his new regime by saying, this is the way it's going to be immediately. I I am not going to, I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to try and convince people, either my bosses or the fans or the media. I I want to be the entire system, the entire philosophy um, on the ground running immediately. And I think that it's been, a really big, it, it, it was always going to be a, an extremely big ask for Joe Hart, who's a keeper who's differently skilled. And I remember he's still the guy who, who, you know, gave one of the, I'd say one of the top 20 goalkeeping performances I've seen in my life when City came to the camp now. And I think only lost 1 0, didn't they? Yeah. The night that Pep was the Bayern manager and he went and watched Messi and he, Pep was clasping his hands and his head at the brilliance of Messi. But it, it was still only 1 0 at the end of the game. It, you know, it was a, it was a 5-0 disguised as a 1-0. because the Etihad. I think that was the game at the Etihad rather than... No, 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 no. Definitely, definitely, definitely the camp now. Okay, okay. Um, Pep, Pep came there with his dad, his mum, with STRT, took his seat late. Um, it, it, Messi began nutmegging people on the halfway line. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was after, I think, a, a win at the Etihad, I... which I think was the two, two the, the Suarez goals, or Suarez scored the first one at the Etihad and it came back to the camp now. And, and Barca were in play because they were so good, were running away from it. But I think I'm pretty sure it finished one nil. And and Hart was Hart was as a traditional shot stopper, and, and as a leader and somebody who who was very British and, and said that night, you know, thou shalt not pass. It was yeah. stunningly good, but it, that bears no relationship uh, to what Pep wants in total. He wants all of that and more. Let me ask you a question. Um, <clears throat> you've just implied to me in in the description of what Pep wants. It strikes me the thing that you're not saying is maybe there is an intelligence thing going on there where it's not simply about being good with your feet or good with your hands. It goes without saying that you need to be those things, but you need to be intelligent in terms of knowing what the coach wants of you when the ball comes back to you and also knowing what your teammates want of you uh, within the system. Do you think that might be an issue with Joe? Just bearing in mind his age and the idea of can you teach old dogs new tricks? You think that's going on here where he's kind of looking at Joe and going, well, that's a project that might take me a year and I've not got a year to teach you. You see, I think you've said two different things there. You've asked about Joe Hart's capacity to learn that, yeah, and Pep Guardiola's need for speed. And those are two different things, because I don't know Joe Hart well enough. Um, I've met him, I've liked him, um, I certainly respect him as a as a as a, as a strong pro. Um, he certainly has goalkeeping, high level goalkeeping abilities. It's always been my perception that um, there are little pieces of housekeeping. That probably he could change. Sometimes, in my view, uh, rebounds off the body when he makes a good save. The elite, elite goalkeepers, 
either put it wide or are up again for a second or third save. But he's I have no um, qualms about saying that he's extremely good. Um, whether there are outside football criteria that Pep Guardiola has judged on, um, which you know he is prone to do, um, I, I wouldn't like to judge whether Joe Hart would be a quick um, student of the system. Okay. It, it, what, I, what I meant what I, when I said it was that if you've spent your entire life really playing and being trained in, in completely different circumstances, then it is a new project. It is a learning exercise, and that is going on. That will be going on right now. I think you've you've all heard your players talking about it, particularly um, Delph, who uh, has impressed Guardiola, has spoken really articulately about it, but some of the playing systems, so has um, Clichy. There's been at least one other in-depth interview I've seen when... Um, one one player has talked about the necessity to be intensely aware and and concentrated all the time. And therefore, what Guardiola has is is the implementation of a one the implementation of a different playing philosophy. And two, he is changing and learning. Yeah. He will adapt. There is absolutely no question that it, although he will come in and impose four or five basic criteria, keep the ball, use it intelligently, win it back, back as quickly as you possibly can, um, play attractively, play intensely and with concentration to win. Mm. These these basic principles will be installed, but he's adapting to him. And therefore, if, he, if he's not willing to adapt to what Joe Hart has to, to offer, then there'll be other guiding reasons which would include uh, he must he must feel that there is a high chance of him signing the type of goalkeeper that he believes he needs mm. and if the market closes um I, I personally would be extremely surprised if Barcelona sold Ter Stegen for anything other than the the gigantic buyout clause because he is literally um you know, laser designed for the Barcelona system. It sounds like Claudio Bravo is the one. Judging well, by the local press here overnight, the evening news are saying that they've heard from City that City are in advanced negotiations with Barcelona over Claudio well, Bravo. There's two things to say there. One, <clears throat> Claudio Bravo and um, Ter Stegen are markedly different keepers. Yeah. Claudio Bravo, Bravo would be, you know, B minus in terms of what we're talking about. How not not how technically able he is with his feet, but how well he would distribute under extreme pressure. Okay. Um, and maybe that's simply because Ter Stegen is elite, elite. He might not be overall at the same height as. <clears throat> Manuel Neuer reached at the peak of his career, which I think he's no longer at personally. Mm. But he, um, I've got no doubt that Ter Stegen is is at least as technically adroit and football intelligent as um, Van der Sar was at his peak, and Neuer was at his peak. And people talked about Neuer; he could just he could be an outfield player, and his control and volley of passes were the talk of the steamy for for years because he was. Utterly superb. Ter Stegen's at that level. 
Mm. Um, he's not as physically commanding. He may not be just as good in the air. So the things that balance out the mark about Testegen is exceptional. The right age, well spotted by Barcelona, um, convinced by everything about life here, <laughs> salary, teammates, trophies, apart from not playing La Liga football. Therefore, the market's strange. City are rich. Um, it's impossible to say it can't happen, but he's injured. He's probably going to be out until very, very close to transfer deadline. If he's fit again and they, and they sell Claudio Bravo, then you're getting an, a really, really good keeper, mm. an extreme competitor, and somebody who probably is better at the about the, in the type of goalkeeping role that Pep Guardiola imagines, a, a real competitor, um, but but not identical to Ter Stegen at all. And therefore, I accept that the, the tom-tom drums are beating very hard about Bravo. It's certainly the case that both keepers have said to Barcelona, I expect to be the number one keeper. Bravo counts himself as the number one keeper, but would like to be playing Champions League. Ter Stegen wants to be playing La Liga. So Barcelona have a dilemma. And um, the injury to Ter Stegen, which is minor, but it's has come at a very difficult stage for everybody yeah. because it slows things down, it confuses things. And that's why I said Pep Guardiola must assume that he's about to get the keeper that he wants. Um, but Well, that was my next question was, is it a risk in terms of if you look at the injury situation with Stegen and you look at the fact that that leaves Barcelona only with Bravo until Stegen is fit again, and yet seemingly... Most of the summer, the only heavy links to goalkeepers from City's point of view have been the two Barcelona keepers. It's for me, it's in a way, it's counterintuitive that the weekend after Stegen picks up this bad injury, Pep, for all intents and purposes, lets the world know. I'm done with Joe Hart. Do you, do you, are you surprised by that? Just bearing in let, mind that maybe he might need him until Christmas. It might be. Let, let, me, let me turn it around. Let me turn it around. Um, do, do you think that dropping him for the first game means I'm done with him? Honestly, yeah. Right now, as it stands, I'll be shocked if Hart is the keeper. For example, tomorrow night against uh, against Ibrahimovic. That's okay. That's a very that's a very tomorrow night thing you've said there. Let's extend what you're talking about, and let's say that Ter Stegen isn't fit in time, um, can't be sold, doesn't want to go, gets promoted to Barcelona number one. The market closes too quickly for Bravo to be done, and, and Pep's left in the situation he's left in. That's kind of what you and I are talking about yeah. now. I can't speak for Joe Hart, but in that instance, I would expect him to prove himself and, and try to um, impress Pep enough to stay. It is my opinion, not fact. Yeah. And it, we've seen something similar in that when Pep took over at Barcelona, he announced that Deco, Ronaldinho and Eto would be leaving before he'd worked with them, before he'd trained them. The, the sort of Empire Strikes Back moment was far, far greater, far more, far more swinging. And appeared far more irreversible. If if you're being if you're hearing on the day of the coach's presentation that you're being named in public before there's even a buying team, in other words, you're dropping your pants as far as the market's concerned because the market price just you know goes down the plug hole. We're kicking them out. Therefore, teams say, "Well, don't be coming to us and asking for fifty million for Deco or Eto or Ronaldinho." That's how strong that was. And Eto dug in. A keeper and a striker are different positions. Goals. And learning a keeping philosophy, it's not identical. All I'm saying is, it wouldn't be my opinion that Pep 
um, drop into your heart and then being left at the end of the market without a replacement keeper would mean that either Pep would never pick him again or that Joe Hart would feel, I'm a beaten man. Okay. Um, it, 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 clearly, you're right that it's um, an indelicate situation. It's a very um, stark warning about the gap that must exist in Pep's mind about what he wants from a goalkeeper and what Joe Hart has been able to offer. And it comes off the back of a difficult summer, too. There's, there's no escaping. Course, you can't hide that. Despite his quality, it, it wasn't the best way to prepare for a new era. And if it transpires that neither Joe or his agent have seen the writing on the wall and attempted to adapt based on what they should have known Pep Guardiola's um, demands would be for a goalkeeper, then that's something that they may, you know, they may go on to regret because whether it was, I, I don't want to, I'm not saying um, I would have predicted dropped first game, but I can't remember our last podcast, but it has been clear since he played, never mind since he began coaching, specifically what um, this system, the Cruyff believes, the way that Pep has coached, exactly what type of footballer he wants in goals. Yeah. And therefore, it was it was something that... We touched upon it in one of the podcasts that me and you did. You actually touched upon the idea. You, you actually, I think you floated the idea that um, Joe would have a lot of adapting to do, otherwise Pep would be looking at a goalkeeper as a position that was a priority for him. My, where my knowledge um, drops off the cliff is I'm not certain whether maybe there is another keeper of the right um, um, ability, mentality, training, philosophy, education that might um, be available if, if neither Bravo or Stegen can move. Yeah. I'd, I'd imagine in Holland or Germany there might be such a keeper, yeah. um, but it's not something that I would want to swear I know about. But mm. it, as you were painting, if City are left with the two keepers they've got at the moment and don't manage to sign anybody, then there is work to do on everybody's part. Joe's to learn. <laughs> Joe also to, to try and impress the new coach. And Guardiola to, to figure out if he's quite happy playing from now until January with Willie Caballero as number one. Mm. Okay, listen, <clears throat> one last thing before I let you go. Um, I'm going to ask you to speculate a little bit. Mm, thanks. One, one of the other things that has happened in the last 24 hours is that um, people close to the club have, well, one of them has said very publicly on another <clears throat> on another podcast that he believes that rather than there being a specific footballing issue between Joe and Pep, that from Guardiola's point of view, there is an issue with Joe Hart's personality as well. Now, obviously, this wasn't expanded upon. It was left at just this idea that potentially Pep might have a problem with the type of guy that Joe is. Now, my experience uh, of Joe at City, particularly in the last five years, is absolutely he's a very, very big personality, uh, both in the dressing room and, and away from the dressing room. Now... The speculation I want you to indulge in firstly is, is that conceivable for you that Pep will look at the attitude of a player and that when I say the attitude, I mean maybe how they've reacted to being dropped or maybe how they've reacted to what they've been asked to do in training. Is that something that's feasible for you that Guardiola will look at and go, yeah, I'm not having him simply because of his reaction? 
Although you're a, you're a master of um, constructing these questions, and they come out um, not looking like bullets, uh, <laughs> ra- rather Sorry. looking like they're covered in velvet. Um, I'll state something that I think a phrase I've used in podcasts with you before. I think is you you already know the answer to the question. Um, the answer is obviously yes. Um, Pep is 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 not an unfair man. He has demonstrably given people uh, the chance to redeem themselves in the past, but he's mercurial in terms of when his patience will run out. Um, it doesn't always have the same length of fuse, but for example, I mean, I, I don't want to be repetitive, but he judged Ronaldinho and Deco based on what he'd been told by the club before he took over. Yeah. And he'd been around the club as Barca B coach, but that was it. You know, the portcullis came down. He gave Diotore a couple of public warnings, told him privately, are you a man or not? Who's in charge here, you or your agent? Tell him to shut up. Didn't. Dumped. Um, the issues with Ibrahimovic began with... Um, him doing one of these uh, snow jet ski adventures at Christmas time when he was briefly at home um, in the mid part of his only season at Barcelona, um, which he denied. Then he would, he, there was a picture of him and he was a bit sort of, um, what do you call it when you get a, a sort of red face from overexposed, probably sunburned in the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. sun bouncing off the snow at home. And, you know, he stopped playing to the system in from about March onwards, and he was dropped and, and sold. And there are other examples. Um, but you asked about big personalities. Well, I know that it took a great deal of time for there to be um, a level of comfort and understanding between Pep and Thomas Muller. Thomas Muller is an enormous character in that dressing room, um, full of noise, constant jokes, possibly behaviour that a slightly conservative man like Pep would find um, sometimes in the timing a little bit grating. Yeah. But because Muller was um, valuable as a footballer, um, because he um, was absolutely embedded in the system and the structure by Munich, because he was a good pro in terms of how he trained, um, Pep put up with that and tried to adapt. So that it would be false of me um, to hear your question, having stated at the start, and I know this is a fact, that Guardiola feels he has some adaptation in general to do. So the one thing I want to be very careful of is that um, obviously bits and pieces have reached my ear about what might or might not happen away from the pitch with with, um, Joel, but he has struck me as, you know, an exemplary pro, um, somebody at the top of his profession, somebody who's won serious trophies in a transition time at Manchester City when they've gone from being wealthy and not achieving to wealthy and serially achieving. So I think his his part in that is important, the kudos for him, and I do regard him 
in in the traditional way that we were brought up in in the UK to look at keepers, I do regard him as being very very good. Mm. So, about speculating about somebody else's point of view about there being a problem between the two men, I'd rather have facts before I said anything about that. Of course, but I just so what, it isn't what you said. So I'm, I know what all I want to say is I'm not. I have anything to say. I nothing. I know nothing about the personal relationship between the two men. You asked about Guardiola's um, his mores, his 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 norms, yeah. and it, it has been the case that if you cross a boundary with him, he will very quickly say thank you, goodbye. It's happened with Eto. Um, when he was retained for the first season, he scored, I think, 36 goals, the first goal in the Champions League final. His goals got them through the Champions League qualifier. 36 goals overall in a treble ain't too bad. But he he, he remained very opinionated. He, he was sent out of training once in January and sold that summer. Um, so there is... There's a clear pattern of evidence that um, you must... You must be very clear about what Pep Guardiola expects from you, both as a, an individual and as a footballer. And I think that as long as you are, then um, you, you've got somebody who will give you opportunities. If you if you if you miss that clue, if you miss that um, understanding of what this coach um, asks of you as an individual and a player, then yeah, the. the the end can come swiftly. Hmm. Okay. Listen, Graham, as always, thank you very much. That was, um, was very insightful. Uh, I guess that we should be prepared for more, more surprises from Pep because, um, he obviously is a man who likes to do things in his own way and has got very, very, very set ideas. And maybe the last, the last thing for me will probably be that maybe our dressing room over the last two or three years has become a little complacent and maybe it has needed, it needed a shake-up. I think, I, I, I know that because Guardiola is mesmeric and he's different and he he has been unattainable for the British fan until now that there there has been a propensity for people to read the praise that people like me have heaped upon him or the analysis and believe that we're trying to elevate him to some sort of mystical Merlin guru figure well that that isn't my and has never been my intention he's extraordinarily intense it's impossible to overplay how intensely he plans, prepares, thinks, worries. And he's driven not only by the need to win, but by the, the fear of failing to, or the fear of failing because he's not done enough. Um, and he genuinely believes that victory is always about the players but that his role is to augment the probabilities that the players will win it for him and for the club. Yeah. So therefore, when you talk about complacency or whatever, it, it, it kind of stunned me that any player could report for pre-season training overweight. I think at some clubs that you... I, 
depending on who's in the power seat, the player might be able to win that debate, be forgiven, lose a couple of kilos in two, three weeks. And by late September, you know, who gives a toss? Yeah. I think that maybe <clears throat> was a growing culture at, at City, but it, it isn't Guardiola's. And therefore, if you talk about potential um, complacency, then number one, the, the, the Champions League performances against Real Madrid felt that way to me. Um, yeah. I think the inability to beat the top four or five in, in England last season regularly. That was extraordinary complacency last season. If, if you look at the performances, never mind the results, just those performances. It felt it was a causal connection between mentality and yeah, performance. Very much so. But, but, but for, you know, unless some of the footballers literally were kidnapped for the previous year and a half or two or three and, and kept in a dark room blindfolded, then to, to have even, you know, a, a third of a, a pound, an ounce overweight when you're reporting for your first training sessions with Pep Guardiola, that seems to me to be literally beyond understanding. And therefore, that, that might speak of the culture that you're you're asking about. But I think it um, probably does on some level. And I'm not accusing Joe of of being a culprit of complacency. No, but I think he might be a victim of the previous culture of complacency. And that's why why I asked you earlier whether you felt that maybe Pep was making an example. Well, look, I think it was. I think it was. Was it was it Clichy who said? Um, I think it was cliche you said that, you know, we're, we're being told to eat healthily and we're yeah. being given what, and he said, some of us are training a partner. Okay. And then the, a couple of statements later got missed because there was a headline in there about people saying, look, you know, some players are playing a part, are being training a part, which I think was at least Nasri, but he wasn't alone. And cliche said, I've heard a lot of managers talking about this. I've, We've all known it should be the norm. But he said, believe me, and I've been in football for a long time, it isn't. That's the heart of everything that you're, H-E-A-R-T, of everything that we're talking about right now. Pep doesn't try to portray himself. And I promise your listeners, I'm not trying to portray him as, as some gargantuan magician figure. But what he does do is cast a spotlight on his peers. Because... We we are very often presented, I, I think particularly in the docile media, with pictures of coaches who who certainly say all the right things, but then don't necessarily apply them, maybe find themselves cowed by their players. Um, I think there's a manager who lost very publicly and embarrassingly at home over the weekend, who's cowed by confrontation with his own players and therefore doesn't get the type of results over the last decade that he should have been getting. And I remember Alex Ferguson um, telling Luca Viali for his book that Luca did with Gabriel Marcotti. So that's some considerable time ago that he felt that along with his abilities and along with his work ethic and along with the development of talented players at his club, he felt that one of the great reasons for his continued success was his competitors shying away from making big decisions or just screwing up. And I think that when we talk about Pep's intensity and excellence and drive and the types of decisions he might make, whether it be about 
rehabilitating and surprising people about his pleasure at Delph or Fernandinho or Kolarov, or whether it be about the way he's treating Joe Hart. All we're really talking about is Guardiola puts into practice really harshly the basics that I think the majority of us think are staple diets of football clubs, when actually, if you open the lift the lid a little bit and have a little look, they're not. Yeah, and that's the root of, you're right, it's the absolute root of what Clichy said, and it's the root of what's going on here, that you know there is a difference between plenty of managers pay lip service to the idea of, yes. I expect X, Y, and Z Correct. report for pre-season, but it feels like with Pep, and again, it ties into this thing about his own intensity and his own drive and, and everything being driven towards having the best possible chance to win a game of football. And from his point of view, that begins on the training pitch. Even before that, it begins at home. It begins in the way you eat. It begins in the way that you conduct yourself off the pitch as well as the way that you conduct he, yourself on the he, pitch. He, and if we can take eating apart from being a kilo or two over your fighting weight. He he has become, over the years, intensely um, um, convinced and evangelical about the absolute vital nature of um, food and drink intakes in terms of performance, yeah. um, muscle recuperation, rest, in terms of... Um, healing and therefore if if we we were kind of sheepdogged into talking about um eating or drinking in terms of being over fighting weight because of what happened in the in the pre-season and that one or two of the players spilled the fact that you know one or two hadn't reported at fighting weight but that is not that's that's like the the as they say the tip of the iceberg what, what he is fanatical about is that if you consistently eat well, so for example, at both of his previous clubs, he's installed discipline re- regimes, which I presume are already happening with you, whereby the players are obliged to eat breakfast and lunch at the training ground yeah. so, so that they can, they can be controlled. And that it's that, that's not about um, weight control. That's about um, sleep, recuperation, muscle fatigue, energy. About um, it's about set. control in general. No, uh, no, 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 no. You see, you're in dangerous territory there because there are a lot of managers who want to, f- who who have a school teachery. I I have to show I'm in charge and I have to control. It's if you are, if you had pep on this podcast and you had got to the end of that that bit that we were discussing and you said is that, is that about control he said no it's about winning and that sounds pedantic of me but I mean it and I know that I'm on firm ground that when he is you know when he controls like a vice on issues like that and will judge people on issues like that it's not about showing who's boss yeah. it's about knowing the path to victory and if you don't want to get on it you can fuck right off it's funny, I'm staring at a, um, uh, a book uh, written called The Man Who Restored Pride about Mancini's time at City. I'm looking at that book and listening to you talk about Pep and in my head I'm just thinking there are similarities between those two men in, in terms of how they, um, how they handle their, 
their tra- their club and their training pitch and and their players. Personality is very different, but at the root of it, some some definite similarities there. Um, listen, Graham, thank you very much. Uh, we said it would be five minutes. Well, I hope I haven't wasted your time. If it's been if it's been if it's been interesting for you, let, let me just say to your listeners, it's been you know I, I, I've attempted to be not just accurate, but but to communicate something that I believe is 100% factual about your manager. And if it's if it proves to be of interest to your listeners, then fine. <laughs>